And welcome to On Campus on this Monday afternoon, where we go inside your college campus and get insight from you, the fans. I'm your host, Jerry Mackman, and I hope you all had a better Saturday than Old Miss, Texas, and Miami fans. We're at that part of the season where bowl game projections are coming out every week, and players have already begun to opt out of the rest of the regular season. A few weeks ago, CBS Sports and the Dallas Morning News had articles out about four SMU football players who were opting out of the rest of the season to be able to redshirt and go to the transfer portal. However, it's worth noting that the transfer portal doesn't open up until later, until later in the season. So for now, these players will have to sit out the majority of the season in Dallas. Makes for an interesting locker room situation for those guys and their now former teammates. You look at the stats, though, of some of these SMU players that are transferring, and they're actually pretty productive. So what this tells me is that Rhett Lashley has completely lost control of his program, not even a year into being the head man at, at University Park. Now, most of the media have become terrified of calling out college players that they refuse to acknowledge the obvious. An open transfer portal mixed with NIL is a slippery slope that may benefit players in the short term, but will hurt college football in the long run. Now, look, I'm pretty accepting when it comes to the transfer portal and NIL, and there are legitimate reasons for players to transfer when those reasons arise. Players should, players should be able to move without being penalized a full season. But a player deciding his team isn't winning as much as expected, or he isn't having enough fun, is no reason to tell your coaching staff that you refuse to play for your scholarship. That player should be told to leave campus immediately and asked to hand in all team-issued gear. It won't happen because coaches don't ever want to look like the bad guy because it may harm them in the next recruiting and recruiting the next entitled five-star diva. You guys remember scholarships? You remember education? You remember when these were powerful motivators for recruits? They apparently no longer matter. Can we all acknowledge that a full scholarship is something that's still highly valuable in America and also something that's earned? And don't get me wrong, money is a very powerful motivator. When anyone whose parents weren't millionaires or billionaires see that much NIL money coming towards them, it's a deal breaker. No two ways around it. And top players have every right to factor NIL earnings potential to their college decision. But in this case, with these SMU players and players bailing on their teams early, find a better way to handle the situation. All right, guys, so that was a lot. And now moving on to our Week 8 recap in college football. And it was a doozy with LSU down against first marquee one of the Brian Kelly era. Texas looking like good old Texas again. And Syracuse showing its teeth for, for a hard-fought four, four quarters in Death Valley. And TCU's Cinderella season still continues. First game off, number 17, Kansas State at number 8, TCU. And the rallies, they just keep coming for the Horn Frogs. Down by 14 last week against Oklahoma State. Then you turn around and you find yourself down by 17 at one point to Kansas State. But then you rally behind a ball-hawking second-half defense and a rejuvenated offense led by Keandre Miller and Quentin Johnston. Now, can TCU keep the Cinderella season going is the real question. They looked the part in the second half this week, but they still allowed Kansas State's backup and third-string quarterback to do some damage. If you have that kind of mindset heading into this week's game in Morgantown, good luck because JT Daniels plays his best when the lights shine bright. You know what, though? Give all the credit in the world to Chris Kleiman and his first-year offensive coordinator in Kansas State legend Colin Klein. They came out swinging and unfazed when Martinez went down early in the first quarter, and that shows that Kleiman has a winning culture in Manhattan. Deuce Vaughn looked great as always, but what concerns me going forward for Kansas State is the injuries. Now you now look, you got a tough opponent coming into the Little Apple with the pokes on deck. And do you pull yourself up by your bootstraps, or do you fall down and potentially fall out of the Big 12 title race? Time will tell Saturday in Manhattan. Next one, it was a thriller here in Eugene. College game day was there. Number nine, UCLA at number 10, Oregon. I picked Oregon to win this one, and they did by a wide margin, about by 15 points. But I still thought UCLA would put up a bit of a fight and make them competitive. And, you know, and to their credit, they did for a good while. They scored on six of their first seven drives. 
And it really wasn't a lack of trying or for a lack of moving the ball, considering UCLA scored on its first five possessions of the day. Quarterback Dorian Thompson-Robinson still completed 69.2% of his attempts for 259 yards, while running back Zach Charbonnet racked up 182 yards from scrimmage on 7.6 yards per touch. What caused UCLA's downfall, though, was Dan Lanning's onside kick in the second quarter when the Ducks were up 17-10, were up 17 to 10, and the Ducks, of course, ended up recovering the onside kick. When this came, What this game came down to, though, is UCLA not finishing drives and Oregon finishing drives. And give credit to Bo Nix, who played well, as he always has on big stages, going 22 for 28 for 283 yards and five touchdowns. From deep passes to screens, Nix basically got everything that he wanted all day long. In addition to picking up 51 yards and a handful of notable third and fourth down conversions with his legs. Next one, it was a fun one in Death Valley. Syracuse at Clemson. And I got to tell you, I didn't think Clemson would be competitive for the whole four quarters. A half at best, but let's be honest, it was most likely, it was most likely going to be a quarter. Syracuse's offense has not been their strong suit all season long. It's been their defense, and it showed in the first half, forcing two G.J. Ugalele interceptions and holding the Tigers' red-hot offense to 10 points. But give Clemson a backup, Ked Klubnick here in Texas, a lot of credit for rising up to the challenge and converting some tough throws. That second two-point conversion throw was a beautiful throw and reminded me of Johnny Manziel's backpedaling throw in the end zone when A&M played Alabama. However, from Dino Babers' side of the story, it was a much different post-game type of mood. Babers said, I think you know there are no moral victories here at Syracuse. And let's be honest, you know, Syracuse, they did kill themselves with constant penalties and, and a lot of missed chances in the second half. It is worth noting, though, that Syracuse is the second-worst penalized team in the country. And it's, but, it, however, it seems like to me that Syracuse has a lot to play for heading into an interesting one in the Dome versus the Irish. Last one here, we've got to give the group five some love. Memphis at number 25, Tulane. Tulane sold out Yeoman Stadium for what feels like the first time in forever and proved that they were legit with their program's first AP Top 25 ranking since 1998 scoring 35 points in the first half and scoring on three of their first four possessions. But not before Memphis had something to say about it. Opening up the third quarter with two straight touchdown drives and they really never looked back. Looking back, though, Memphis could have easily won this game. Had they not muffed a punt in the first half, led to Tulane special teams having two big returns. One went 90 yards to the house. But Memphis does need, it, need to get it together and fast. They've lost three straight now after starting the year 4-1. and one. For the Green Wave, they'll take a win, but I bet Coach Fritz will have them play a lot better come next Saturday. Moving on to our week nine preview in college football, and this is going to be a fun one in Happy Valley, number two Ohio State and number 16 Penn State. The Buckeyes have not faced a ranked opponent so far since week one's 21-10 demolition of the now exposed Notre Dame Fighting Irish, but they will get another opportunity to face this team, to face a team this coming weekend versus the Penn State Nittany Lions after beating the Iowa Hawkeyes at home in week eight, 54-10. The Nittany Lions, on the other hand, bounced back from their loss to the Michigan Wolverines in Week 7 by shell-shocking the Minnesota Golden Gophers at home last Saturday, 45-17. Ohio State once again put the entire nation on notice with a huge performance against the Hawkeyes. Iowa's defense that was just allowing 11.2 points per game absolutely crushed, was absolutely crushed by C.J. Stroud and company. Stroud went 20-30 for 30 for 286 passing yards and four touchdowns, but also had a pick. Overall, the Buckeyes put up 360 total yards against Iowa, Penn State also has a top 10 defense, but knowing how capable Ohio State is and with wide receiver Jackson Smith Nijibeth, expected to have a heavier workload next week. It wouldn't be surprising to see the Nittany Lions get hammered just like Iowa did last week in Columbus. Sean Clifford made up for his bad performance in the loss to Michigan by putting on a show the following week against Minnesota. Clifford passed for 195 yards and four touchdowns with, with one pick uh, on 23 of 32 completions. 
Meanwhile, Nicholas Singleton rushed for 77 yards and two touchdowns on only 13 carries. With Clifford getting his mojo back, he can be someone who could shock Ohio State's defense at home. But this one is on the shoulders of Penn State's defense that entered Week 8, and Penn State's defense is only allowing 19.2 points per game. But regardless, I still like the Buckeyes to continue rolling on to Indy and the college football playoff. Bucks by 15. Moving on to another fun Big Ten matchup, number 18, Illinois at Nebraska. Illinois, they're having their best season in years under Brett Bielema, and the Huskers maybe, just maybe, have turned a small corner. Illinois' weapon is their defense. They like to play that old-school smash-mouth football, and they're, and they're fantastic at ball control. However, Casey Thompson has been somewhat resurgent, looking like his old self at Texas since Scott Frost firing. But, you know, I just don't really trust the Huskers enough, or honestly even believe in them, to pick them to win this one. Give me Illinois by 10. Next one here, we're moving on to a fun ACC matchup. Pittsburgh at number 22, UNC. i got to tell you, North Carolina and Mac Brown, they're probably the luckiest 6-1 team on the planet. But it all starts with their quarterback play, and they have someone who always delivers in Drake May. May has been the key to Carolina's resurgence for potential birth in the ACC, in the ACC title game. And yes, I know UNC's defense is terrible, but they are able to finish games. Against Miami, you had a pick for the win. Against Duke, you had the same thing. This defense knows when it needs to make plays, and if this one comes down to a close game, which it probably will, expect Carolina's defense to come up big. Heels win in a close one by three. Now moving on to this week in NIL, and we got our first guy up is Florida quarterback Anthony Richardson signed a deal with Gatorade. Richardson becomes the first Florida athlete to sign an NIL deal with Gatorade. As part of the deal, the quarterback is promoting the SEC Game Day Challenge in partnership with Gatorade. It's all part of a major campaign from the brand titled Fuel Tomorrow, Fans can win a trip to the SEC Championship game along with the ACC, Big Ten, and SWAC title games. Richardson said, It brings me great joy. Richardson said, It brings me great joy to have brought together Gatorade and myself to work together in promoting the iconic Gatorade brand. The sky's the limit for Anthony, and I look forward to continuing to assist him off the field. Richardson adds to his NIL arsenal with deals with Champ Sports in September and Fanatics earlier this month, signing jerseys, posters, and footballs. According to On3NIL, Richardson currently holds an, an NIL evaluation of $413,000. Next one up, Mercury signs all of Clemson's defensive line. The digital brand experience company recently announced a partnership with the, with the institution. Now it has signed the eight players from Clemson's defense to an NIL partnership. KJ Henry, Xavier Thomas, Brian Brees, Tyler Davis, Miles Murphy, Rui Kohoro, and, and Justin Muskell have all signed on. Nicknamed the Avengers, a reference to Marvel superhero films, every athlete has signed a deal that will run through the remainder of the season. The athletes will appear in digital collectible drops on the ClemsonTigers.io platform. They've also signed on to be auctioned off for, the, for experiences with fans and will, and will be part of the Discord chat and appear in Mercury's Next Up podcast. The Clemson defenders join a, join a growing list of athletes to sign with Mercury. Since mid-September, Kentucky quarterback Will Levis, Kansas quarterback Jalen Daniels, and UCF quarterback John Rice Plumley have all linked NIL deals with the company. We operate as a squad, and we want to partner that way with a team that can bring the Avengers crew to life in a special way, Clemson, de Clemson defensive end K.J. Henry said in a statement. The Mercury team knows what we're about, and we can't wait for our first exclusive drop and the fun ways we'll be interacting with the Clemson community. Mercury plans to drop the first digital collectible featuring the Avengers in the next few weeks. Clemson fans can purchase membership passes for $25 for the year, and this deal looks really a win-win for the athletes, fans, and the universities. For universities, it aims to simplify the process of developing a marketing strategy and designed to ultimately drive fan engagement. For players, it creates an easy way to put NIL dollars in their pockets, and for fans, it enables supporters of the, of the traditional rich program to enhance what it means to be a fan. And moving on, this is another one of those feel-good 
NIL stories. Florida State soccer player Jenna Nyswanger inks an NIL deal with the Breast Cancer Research Foundation. As many of you probably know, October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month, and Nyswanger is donating $1,000 to the Breast Cancer Research Foundation using her NIL proceeds from the sale of her jersey at the Garnet and Gold Store, which is Florida State's campus store. On Instagram, Nyswanger announced that the Breast Cancer Research Foundation is holding a fundraiser to raise $15,000, which the Breast Cancer Research Foundation will then double. Nyswanger said in a statement via her Instagram account, I'm excited to donate money to this foundation. Funding research is critical in fighting breast cancer and finding a cure. My grandmother passed away from breast cancer in the early 70s, but thanks to advanced treatments, due to research, it has allowed multiple family members to be breast cancer survivors. Thank you for the overwhelming support of my jerseys, and check out BCRF for more information on the research they are funding. Nyswanger's NIL net worth is valued at $9,300. Now moving on to our failures of the week, and the first one, Pretty obvious. Steve Sarkeesian, Red and Marion, Kyle Flood. Really, all of UT's offensive staff, with the exception of our exceptional running back coach, Deshard Choice. But all these guys, you know, you can harp on Quinn for not playing well, and you can harp on Ewers for not necessarily executing the plays right, and, and, and you can maybe bring an excuse in about the win. But here's the thing. The players aren't the one calling the plays. All they're doing is executing the plays that the coaches gave them. And also, here's a reason for Sark. You know, here's what I'm looking about, Sark. You're running the ball very, very good. Okay. I mean, you're just beating them left and right with it. Bijan had a Roshan Johnson had a 52 yard touchdown run. Bijan had two touchdown runs. Um, and it just doesn't make a lot of sense because when something is working for you and the other team hasn't exploited it yet, you keep doing that. And even still, like, you know, and even when Quinn, you know, went pass, pass, incomplete, 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 he still never changed anything. Now what that shows me is that Steve Sarkeesian is willing to live and die by Quinn Ewers. Now will that work? I don't really think so for right now, but maybe Quinn can turn it around. We'll see. I hope so. Now next, moving on to Bama wide receiver Jermaine Burton. And Burton, I'm sure uh, a lot of y'all guys have seen the video when Tennessee fans stormed the field um, when they beat Alabama. And Burton ends up shoving two Tennessee, um, two Tennessee female fans. And Nick Saban didn't discipline him at all. Didn't suspend him. Didn't even didn't even like didn't even pull him aside. Talk to him about it. It was just and Nick Saban he's creating excuses for him about it. He's like he said he said well oh, we all got scared. You know we were all scared about it. Oh he's a good kid. He's in counseling now. Listen Nick, you claim to be building men of character and people who who and people who are, are going to be good fathers, good family members and whatnot. That right there tells me that that you're building the exact opposite at Alabama. Okay? Because the number one thing most football because the number one thing most football programs have in their locker room is to respect women. And clearly Burton doesn't know anything about that. Now moving on to our last failure of the week and this one, you know, he was he started really hot in Miami, and then he's just kind of died down so far. Uh, Mario Cristobal. And Cristobal, you know, they lost to a decent Duke team, you know, but it's still very frustrating for Miami. You know, like Texas, you know, you've got more money than you got more money than you could ask for, and you keep underperforming. Cristobal needs a way to turn this around fast in a weak ACC conference. Now my updated and Heisman playoff predictions. Number one from a Heisman, uh, Hendon Hooker, quarterback, Tennessee, dual threat quarterback who transferred to Rocky Top from Virginia Tech in 2020, has also rushed for 285 yards and added three scores on the ground 
and has firmly positioned Tennessee in the mix for a trip to the college football playoff. Thanks to Hooker, Tennessee has the number two ranked scoring offense in the country, the number one scoring offense in the country in terms of total yards. He's looking to become Tennessee's first Heisman winner. Next up, C.J. Stroud, quarterback for Ohio State. Ohio State's third-year quarterback entered the 2022 season as arguably the best player in college football. Seven weeks into the season, he's basically justified that assessment. Stroud has thrown for 1,734 yards, 24 touchdowns, which ties him for the nation's best to just three interceptions. He's looked every bit the top prospect he's expected to be in the 2023 NFL Draft. Third, our third pick here is Blake Corum, running back from Michigan. The only non-quarterback on my Heisman list this week. Corum ranks second in the country with, nine, with 901 rushing yards and first in the nation with 13 rushing touchdowns, leading the way for one of the top scoring offenses in college football. Michigan's offense will, will continue to lean on Corum in the second half of the season, giving him a real possibility of taking home the Heisman, last won by a Wolverine by Charles Woodson in 1997. And if Corum does, he'd become the first running back to win the Heisman since Alabama's Derrick Henry in 2015. And our last one, speaking of Alabama, is Bryce Young, quarterback for Alabama. Alabama's junior quarterback, he's having another really impressive season for the Crimson Tide. The 2021 Heisman winner missed a game and a half, which keeps him at the number three spot for this list now. And for the five-plus games he's played this season, he's really looked incredible. Okay, 1,600 yards passing, 16 touchdowns, just three interceptions. If Young takes home the award, he will become only the second player to ever win the Heisman twice, joining, joining Ohio State back Archie Griffin, who won the award in 1974 and 1975. And my playoff predictions, they stay the same as last week with Tennessee at number one, Ohio State at number two, Michigan at number three, and Georgia at, at number four. Just missing out this week are Clemson and TCU, but they do have chances to turn it around this week if they win. For everyone here at On Campus, I'm Jerry McMahon, and may you soak in all the football games this weekend. How long was that? Oh, yeah. One, two, three.